And all right, guys, what's the story? Happy 420, guys. Uh, welcome to uh, 420 News with your show host, Martin Condon. And uh, 420 News is brought to you by Martin's World. <laughs> um, so, guys, uh, I hope you're all well out there. Um, we have a couple of items on the agenda. Just going to try to line that up a bit better. There we go. Um, we have a couple of items on the news there today, anyway. Um, we're going to, not not too many journeys to take, actually. We're going to France, we're going to Germany, uh, we're going to be going to uh, Uruguay, Mexico, Portugal, and uh, then we're going to finish back home in Ireland. So uh, not, not too much of a journey to take, really. Um, kind of, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good old trip. But before we go there, guys, uh, I just want to remind people that, look, uh, I'm undertaking uh, a new little project where I'm going to try to establish uh, a hub for cannabis activists in Cork uh, and, you know, for across Ireland too, I'd like to make this a, a blueprint that can be kind of replicated across uh, the rest of the country so that uh, our community has a place to kind of go and uh, meet and socialise, you know. Um, so what I'm aiming to do is uh, I'm looking to, to rent the premises and uh, to establish a community uh, network for cannabis activists in, in Ireland. Um, so on martinsworld.ie, um, there's a, a button you can click up there and uh, you can make a donation in the, the form of Bitcoins. Or, uh, I also have set up a, a Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com forward slash martinsworld. And uh, you'd also be able to kind of sign up and subscribe to that there. Um, again, I, I know this isn't going to be something that I'm going to fund through these donations at all. This is something I'm going to be putting my hand into my own pocket to do. But um, anything at all that people can kind of give uh, to help this project along will certainly be uh, greatly appreciated. Um, certainly aware too of the, the current coronavirus thing, and I hate talking about this uh, because I like to keep 420 news about uh, cannabis and stuff but, uh, and free of coronavirus. Uh, but look, uh, because of the whole lockdowns and everything, um, do you know, this might be a project that uh, mightn't take off uh, for, you know, until January, February, hopefully. Um, as we come out of this virus um, but it's certainly something that I'm looking into myself I, I, I want to establish uh, a network where we can come and meet and where other people can kind of come and create their own content too you know I've all this gear that I'm only using for uh, a very short period of time and I'm happy for other people to kind of come and use the stuff and uh, to create their own content too because I know there's a lot of people out there who uh, who are definitely uh, creating content and working towards uh, le legalization of cannabis in Ireland and uh, yeah, guys, uh, like they say, in this together and uh, together we're stronger. So um, anybody at all, uh, you know, uh, if you want to help out there, um, check those things out anyway, up at martinsworld.ie um, for the guy, people who want to donate with cryptocurrencies and, uh, you know, uh, patreon.com forward slash martinsworld for uh, anybody who wants to, to partake in that there as well. Um, so yeah, onwards we go, guys. Uh, as I said, first part of our journey today is going to be taking us to... Uh, France. So, uh, bonjour uh, to my followers and uh, watchers in France. Uh, uh, J'espère vous allez bien. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hope you're all doing well, guys. Uh, just uh, brushing up on a little bit of my French there. Uh, it is quite rusty. Probably butchered that, but uh, I was trying to say I hope you're all doing well in French. <laughs> um, so I, I talked recently about France, actually, uh, going back a bit in the 420 News, about uh, they, they've announced that they will be going ahead with a, a study for medicinal cannabis uh, patients in from January 21st. That was supposed to start last month in September, but because of this whole virus that shouldn't be named, I don't know, I want to keep it away from there, but look, uh, it, it put this thing back a bit. 
and uh, th- it's not going ahead until January 21st. But in that kind of, uh, in the spirit of things around medical cannabis, look, uh, recreational cannabis kind of uh, came about uh, as part of the conversation. And there was a couple of doctors there and people coming out speaking in favour of it, you know, um, saying that, uh, you know, that legalising cannabis is probably one of the best ways that uh, we can tackle um, the street dealing of cannabis. And, uh, you know, they're, they're very right on that, actually. Um, that probably is one of the best ways of uh, dealing with the, the street dealing, you know. Um, and uh, in, in response to this, then, there's been 80 MPs in France um, who've penned the paper, you know, and uh, signed a, a letter speaking out against the legalization of cannabis, you know. And again, let's uh, try to brush off in this French here. And uh, in the letter, they say, Il y a, il pas de drogue douche. <laughs> douche. <laughs> uh, la drogue est un poison. Un fleur que uh, nous devons combattre. Again, guys, sorry about that now that my French is terrible. Um, but what that was supposed to say, and I probably didn't do it right at all, it was uh, there is no such thing as a soft drug. Drugs are poison, a scourge we must fight. You know, so that that's what these guys uh, had to, had to say. You know, it's quite disingenuous of them, really, because uh, when you get lit, a little bit down into the letter um, that they respond uh, with, you know, they they say that legalizing the sale of cannabis will make current dealers turn towards other drugs, even more dangerous drugs. Um, so just because law enforcement struggled to keep up with dealers doesn't mean that we have uh, that we should legalize the practice. So this is like what these MPs signed, okay? Like keep in mind these MPs also say that there is no such thing as soft drugs, but yet in their letter they address that like if well, if we take away cannabis, now you're going to leave the, the more dangerous drugs, but like what is like a more dangerous drug like is could you not also say a harder drug like and cannabis is a softer less dangerous drug like is this what you know like there's serious hypocrisy there like uh in, in within their own letter um so there, there's just not much logic really there like um so they, they go on then in, in their own letter then to say that uh, if we were to use the same logic for uh that that the people arguing for legalizing cannabis are using that we should also legalize uh, the, the illegal selling of arms, you know, arms dealing, um, fiscal fraud and speeding on roads. But like, how, how can you argue at all for the illegal sales of arms, you know, legalizing it? Like in France, uh, I'm sure if you're a hunter, you can buy a gun legally. So yes, like there is a legal means to owning a gun. Um, it's not as uh, liberal say, as, as in America. But you can certainly buy guns in, in France. I'm pretty sure you could. Anyway, look, I'm open to correction on this. I didn't look into it if you can buy a gun legally in France. But I'd imagine if you have legal reasons to do it, like hunting, as I said, um, you should be able to do it, I'd imagine. Um, so, yeah, uh, then speeding on roads, like, how? how why would you, like, you have the autobahn. Okay, sweet. Like, that. that's a kind of a, a tourist attraction in and of itself. But, um, like, that's not in France, obviously. I know that. Um but, like, why would you legalize, like, speeding on roads? Like, that's just stupid. Like, come on. Like, there, there's speed limits put in place because, like, uh, they, they save lives. Like, prohibition of cannabis costs lives. It keeps, like, uh, it out of research labs. It keeps it out of uh, patients' hands. 
and uh, it puts it into the hands of criminals, street dealers, you know, the, the same guys that you've police out there risking their lives trying to stop. But meanwhile, like simple, simply politicians putting pen to paper by legalizing and regulating and putting the right policies in place, they could do much better than, than any of the guards out there together. Um, they also mentioned that prohibition, you know, under the same logic should be should be legalized, and, and that's the only one I agree with them. Like, actually, yeah, you should be legalizing uh, prostitution um, by by the same logic. It, it puts all those workers in danger. But look, that's that's an argument for a different day. Um, I, I definitely have a few people there that I, I might have on as guests in the future that I've met throughout my time there um, in activism that have a, a very good argument to make as to why le- uh, prostitution should be legalized. Um, but like that's the only one I agree with them. Like, but the other is like fiscal fraud. Like, yeah, sure, let's like that kind of is legalized in the sense like once they're greasing the right pounds, you know, the the banking crisis and we bail the boys out. Like, sure, that's uh, stinks the whole lot of that. Like, um, then they they also have more fair mongering inside in their letter. You know, um, the the MPs say that they they see in their constituencies uh, parents who are overwhelmed by seeing their child addicted and their family is destroyed, friendships disappearing because of drugs, and people lose their jobs, and young people fall into delinquency to get cannabis. Um, the letter adds that uh, the, the MPs all see cannabis as well as the cause of uh, psychosis, schizophrenia, depression, school failure, dropping out of school, dropping out of society. <laughs> And uh, they, they kind of finish off the letter then with saying that they, they agree with the uh, the interior minister, Gerard Darmanin, uh, who, again, I quoted this uh, in that recent episode there about maybe a week or two ago of uh, 420 News when I was dealing with that uh, announcement on the medical cannabis thing. Um, he said, drugs are shit. You know, uh, why, why would I legalize this shit? Um, when... when uh, there's people trying to uh, beat this with addiction. Okay, come on, I'm going to stop with that uh, French accent. I'm probably offending so many people right now. Um, but yeah, the boys, you know, drugs are shit. Uh, sorry, it's it's going back to buying hash on the street over there. Like, le shit, le shit, uh, le bomb. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it used to just be funny. Um, but yeah, that, that interior minister guy anyway, Gerard uh, Darmin, uh, he came out and saying that, like, oh, drugs are shit. Why would I uh, legalize them when there's so many people out there addicted to them? Um, you would legalize them because people are getting addicted to them anyway. Like, <laughs> you keep them illegal. Pe- like, <laughs> where, what are you saying? Like, you're keeping them illegal, you're getting people off them? That makes no sense at all. You're, you're actually stigmatizing these people, keeping them out of reach of the, the services, you know. You're making them feel less. You're making them feel like their opinion doesn't matter at all um, by keeping what they do illegal. There's many people out there who've used cannabis and they haven't dropped out of school, you know. There's many people like I, I myself have done college quite successfully while using cannabis throughout the whole duration of it. Went, went to some of my exams high and I haven't failed any of them at all. Um, so, you know, the flies in the face of what you're saying. Um, I, I don't experience any real psychosis like, uh, not that I know of. Uh, I certainly don't feel like I'm schizophrenic. And uh, yeah, I, I, I feel more depressed actually when I wake up in the morning knowing that cannabis isn't legalized uh more than like cannabis actually making me feel depressed uh, has you know so maybe if you legalized cannabis uh, you would help in making a lot more people feel happy and less depressed uh, <laughs> i don't know um but yeah like uh, it's just pure fear-mongering they're trying to get into the, the kind of thing oh think of the children think of the guys who are addicted but like 
friends like come on like wine <laughs> it's a drug guys come on you already have legalized drugs what, what about the people who are addicted to alcohol uh, and like do they not matter at all like you know um no it's it's fine to, to have their, their drugs sold there on the streets uh or not in the streets in stores um and quite available to them but for the other addicts like no no we're going to keep yours illegal and we're going to criminalize you for for getting it um no no that that just flies in the, the face of uh you know the, the right thing to be doing at all like it makes no sense at all like uh you know so um uh, I hope I see something more positive coming out of France there uh, sometime soon. But uh, I just thought that was quite bad out of the guys. Like, they, they got 80 of them. But look, uh, these politicians are cheap. Like, they love votes. And uh, I, I'm sure they're preaching to a certain uh, type of voter there anyway. And, uh, you know, so uh, onwards, guys. Uh, we, we go on from there. And uh, we go. our next journey has taken us to uh, Germany. So, uh, guten tag uh, there to my uh, German compatriots. Uh, hope you're all uh, very good. Um, hope you're all uh, having a nice one. So, uh, and if it's uh, if it's the evening time there, I'm gonna try a little bit more German there. It's a guten Abend. So guten Abend. So hello there to all you guys out there in Germany. I hope you're well. Um, so uh, yeah, Germany. Get that one up there, feet. And uh, there we go. There's a little uh, cannabis plant and uh, the German flag. If you're watching by video. Um, so why I'm talking about Germany today, guys? Uh, I was reading an article about Germany and the article talked about uh, the, the medical cannabis there and it's kind of I, I'd like to tie this back to Ireland in certain regards like um, because Germany uh, like Ireland uh, legalized medicinal cannabis access uh, they done it in 2017 um, if memory serves correct I think we done it around the same time um, maybe a little bit later had uh, medicinal cannabis access programs around since last year but uh, like Bear Toomey had her license there. Uh, actually, um, Yvonne Callan and Tristan Ford were the first ones going back a, a long, a, a much longer time ago. Um, but that was only through the ministerial license. There wasn't anything set up, I suppose, like the Medicinal Cannabis Access Program, which nobody has gotten access to here uh, since. So, you know, there, there is much a, a slower thing. But anyhow, look, uh, I digress there. Germany legalized medicinal cannabis in 2017, okay? So in 2017, patients were able to go down, meet their physician, and uh, you know once they meet the, the certain requirements kind of stipulated down there, they would be able to get access to medicinal cannabis. Um, in 2015, okay, they, they imported one and a half tons of um, cannabis for research purposes and medicinal purposes. You know, that was the reason why they imported it. That was in 2015, okay? Um, that was just a number that was available there uh, for their imports. But in 2017, after the approval of the, the the prescribing of medicinal cannabis in Germany, that quickly bumped up to uh, 10.38 tons. So uh, quite quite a substantial bump up there from uh, that you know, two year previous where you know, it was only one and a half tons, almost a tenfold increase there within that. Um, then in 2018, that, that was... A similar uh, number it was uh, 10.69 uh, quite quite a small increase there in that and uh, there, there's a lot of reasons to that you know um, in, in Germany despite it being legalized and uh, people being able to be prescribed it by the doctors uh, there was still a bit of pushback there from from the doctors uh, 
one of the reasons why was actually uh, problems in patients being reimbursed, which again, you know, similarities hurt in, in Ireland. Um, insurance companies not wanting to pay for it and uh, the, the government, you know, not wanting to pay for it either. Um, so I think of in 2018, of, of all the applications put in, there was only two thirds of them were approved and, um, you know, one third of them were rejected or more information was requested upon um, th from the patient. And, uh, yeah, there, there only two thirds of them anyway. So th there is a bit of a problem there with, with that. And also, you know, there isn't anything in place. Uh, maybe that has changed now since. Uh, since. Um, but there has been no continued education programs there for the doctors uh, to teach them about medicinal cannabis uh, as there would be for other drugs and other things. Uh, so it, it, in Ireland and I'd imagine in Germany, the doctors there have to go through what's called a continued education programs and they get credits for it. Um, and basically, I think they get five credits. Are, look, it's it's complicated process. They have to get up to sixty credits a year, I think, so that they continuously are learning throughout their entire career. It's it's a great thing to be doing actually for professionals, especially health professionals. But um, there's nothing being put into that program for cannabis. You know where they can go and learn about uh, prescribing and working with cannabis and patients where they earn credits. So there's no incentive there for doctors to do it. And, and also, like, uh, if one doctor is the doctor to prescribe cannabis, like, uh, he quickly kind of becomes known, he or she quickly becomes known. And they could be targeted then by patients, you know, and they could be inundated with requests and all of this. And, do you know, there's still a lot of taboo out there within the medical professional field. And uh, I, I don't think too much has really changed in Germany there, despite actually in 2019, that number on the import uh, quit, bumped up, uh, doubled actually. It went from 10.5 tons the, the year previous to 20.77 tons in uh, 2019. That was imported into the country, okay? So um, the, the importation then, like, uh, that's expected to reach uh, 28.5 tons in 2020. Now, there's some doubt there around that because of uh, things like coronavirus again i hate talking about it but look it pops its head up again infectious little bastard um but yeah um you know that that's put a damp a slowdown on things there because of you know people being able to work offices restricted and all of this kind of stuff there so there is a bit of a slowdown there and um, there there was three companies that were given licenses in 2019 for the domestic production of cannabis in germany but um, it's it's un it's unlikely that they're going to have any harvest coming from those companies uh, by the end of twenty twenty. So they won't see a, a domestic harvest of uh, cannabis in Germany until uh, twenty twenty one from uh, any of those companies given license to us too. Now, when I say cannabis, I'm talking about the the medicinal variety and not the the hemp variety uh, that that possibly is grown around Germany and other places. These companies are the first to be given licenses to be growing medicinal quality cannabis, um, you know, high spec and, and all of that stuff. But then there's uh, three companies, um, or not three companies, three countries then that have been awarded uh, the, the, I don't know, the position to, to import cannabis to, uh, or export cannabis to Germany. Those countries are the Netherlands, um, you have Portugal, and you have uh, Canada. Canada, I've talked quite a bit, and uh, yeah, Portugal, I kind of touched a little bit off of there, but um, it brings us, uh, pushes us along there. Um, 
yeah so yeah it, it kind of pushes us along to the next part of the journey there but um i actually before i go there i just want to talk a bit more about germany and their program what they've got there because one interesting thing about the prescribing in germany that they done is they require the doctors to uh, collect data from the patients um so basically they have to they're required by the, the legislation to co- uh record the ailments in which they're prescribing the cannabis for um so the indications is the technical term that they, they use so uh, why they're prescribing cannabis to the patient then they're required to record the concentration of the product which they're prescribing to the patient and the frequency of use. And then the final thing they're required to record is the, the feedback from the patients, you know, how the patient responded to the medication. Was it beneficial or was it not? And and all of the above, you know, all those things. Um, a very interesting thing that came from the gathering of that data is the majority of the prescriptions were for chronic pain. And that is something that has been excluded by the, the Irish uh, health guys, uh, the experts. Um, they, they decided they'd exclude chronic pain from the me- recommendations of uh, three conditions there, what a doctor can make a, a apply for a patient under the medicinal cannabis program, access program. Uh, that is uh, chemo, um, nausea, the, yeah, it was a, to treat the nausea associated with chemotherapy for cancer patient. Uh, it's for MS uh, patients and it's for um, uh, the medicinal medicine resistant epilepsy. So those are the three kind of uh, conditions uh, that they set out. Anyone else still has to can apply through the ministerial license. And that includes people with chronic pain, guys. If you're out there and you're, you suffer with chronic pain, your GP can still write to the Minister uh, of Health and apply for a license. Now, they will say, oh, we need a consultant and you need this and you need that. But realistically, your doctor can prescribe you something and that doctor can, you know, he has a license. He can put it on the line, I suppose, in certain regards. But, like, it shouldn't be taken for him um, from following, like, the, the due process, following the road, like, you know, first do no harm and what have you. Um, by writing a letter and, and an application to the Minister for Health to get you access to medicinal cannabis. And uh, it should be done before you're, you're put on to some of these other more harmful opiates and stuff, you know, that are damaging your liver. Um, a simple tincture there of, uh, of a well-balanced uh, THC, CBD and other cannabinoids and terpenes there um, could do a lot of benefit as opposed to an opiate-based uh, you know, Oxycontin or something like that that's going to do incredible damage to you and it's incredibly addictive too, you know. So um, that was uh, one last thing there uh, that I wanted to add on the German thing before I went on to the next part of our journey, which is uh, Uruguay and uh, Portugal, you know. Um, they're kind of coupled together there and as I say, uh, Portugal are one of the comp- countries that are allowed importation into Portugal. And uh, that's done through, I'm pretty sure that's done through um, Tillery, uh, a Canadian company that operated in um, in Portugal. So uh, again, I, c- I stand to be corrected on that. Uh, there's, there could be one of the other companies that operate in Portugal that are allowed export out of there to Port- Germany as well. But um, yeah, the, the next company is based in Uruguay. It's called Fatmar, okay? These guys, Fatmar Life Sciences, are uh, a medicinal cannabis uh, specialising company that are based in Uruguay. 
And if uh, you haven't watched some of the older episodes of uh, 420 News, uh, you mightn't have heard that uh, Uruguay legalized cannabis uh, like across the board. And uh, they were selling cannabis for as cheap as $1 a gram in uh, Uruguay. Um, you know, it sounds cheap here, but maybe on a local level it isn't as cheap. Maybe it is on par with what we, maybe what, what, not what we pay, but maybe in some of the more sensible places uh, that have legalized cannabis and the, you know, like the prices come down. Um, yeah, maybe it's on par with what they paid there. Um, but, you know, Uruguay legalized cannabis anyway, and they have some companies there that are doing very well, actually. And one of them in 2019 made headlines and uh, they made the, the world's largest legal export of high THC cannabis. Um, so that was the, the guys there that I talk about, Fatmer, OK? And they made that export of cannabis from Uruguay and they imported it into Portugal. And as the headline says there, the uh, buyer remains a mystery. <laughs> and that, that's a bit of a strange one, you know. You, you, like if The uh, export was one ton of cannabis, so that's a thousand kilograms of cannabis. So um, if, if that was our guardie, uh, they would value that at, um, is it thousand like is it 200,000 no 2 million uh thousand three zeros 20 200,000 i think is uh 20,000 okay no that would be 2 million worth 20,000 per kilo 200,000 per 10 100 no it would it be 20 million worth actually jeez our guarantee would value this at 20 million worth sorry guys about the slow math skills there and if i'm off like but uh that the Gardaí, if the if the Gardaí intercepted that ship, they they would have had like, oh yes, we got twenty million worth of cannabis. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, it, they say it was worth three point two million. Is uh, how much that they, they actually valued that. Uh, that was including the the freight costs and the importation and all of that kind of stuff there. Sorry, bit of hydration there. But um, yeah, like the, that's what it was actually worth. Our guardy would have said it was you know, worth an arm and a leg and they would have had a whole hell of a view about it. But the, the guys anyway who imported it, um, they haven't ever stuck their head up and said who it was. And that's a lot of cannabis, okay? So in Portugal, there are only four companies that have a license to import cannabis, okay? Only four companies. So only four can import them, like... A researcher, a journalist, not myself, like I'm not going to take credit for this at all. Um, they they done the work and they asked uh, the four companies if it was them. Three out of four of the companies responded, okay. So one of those companies that responded was Emac Life and uh, they responded through Terra Verde. And uh, yeah, that's the name of their Portuguese-based company and Emac Life operate out of London. So these companies, you know, it's a London-based company. It's, in, it's based itself in Portugal through an, a subsidiary called uh, Terra Verde. And they said they're not responsible. It wasn't them. Another company in uh, in Portugal, uh, they operate uh, through, yeah, they're called the, the Flower Carp. They're based in Toronto. And they operate in Portugal through another subsidiary called uh, Hologen or RPK Biofarm. They're not responsible for it either. They said they didn't do it. Um, so again, that's two out of three or two out of four not responsible. 
Um, a third company uh, called uh, Sabores Porpora. Uh, they're a Portuguese company. Like uh, of of four companies, only one of them is actually uh, a Portuguese company. That's like doesn't seem to be a subsidiary of another company. So hopefully, it's like Portuguese owned and run, and it's some like uh, local guys. Uh, you know, doing their part for their community, unlike these other kind of um, blow-ins who kind of come from other places and don't really care for the community in which they operate in, like uh, Emic Life there in London. Again, like, no no offence to these guys, like, but what are you doing in Portugal? Like, why aren't you in London? Why aren't you working with the policymakers in London so that you can base your company in London? Like, what, what are you doing in Portugal? I, I just don't understand this kind of uh, operation of business at all. Like, unless it's to exploit something, workers, maybe cheaper labor. Um, I understand this is a thing in business, like, where, you know, um, it's kind of not nice. It's a bit unethical, really. Um, but it's it's the thing in business, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I, I don't really like this stuff. And it's, like again, why I partake in this conversation. I want to see indigenous businesses like uh, Irish businesses set up in Ireland supplying Irish patients and you know ones who can be kind of held uh, responsible by the community because look they, they eat sleep and walk or, or, in the community themselves too um, so they wouldn't want to do anything bad because they'll be called out upon on it um, so this is kind of why I su- support the business models like that rather than these guys who'll come in and just buy off massive swats of things hire people like pay them maybe half decent wages but I don't know, I, I just, you know, <laughs> I'm a small business guy, like, I like that kind of a thing, I don't really like things getting too big and uh, and what have you. Anywho, the final company guys, uh, the, the Tillery, uh, Canadian company, they operate in Portugal and uh, they wouldn't respond, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't confirm nor deny uh, that they were the importers of this stuff. So you kind of scratch your head there, like, well, if three of the four said that they didn't, and these guys are saying like that, look, we we're not going to say that we did, and we're not going to say that we didn't. <laughs> um, so yeah, like it's it's most likely these guys um who imported it into uh into Portugal. But you'd wonder then, like, why did they import all of that cannabis? Like, what's the the deal there? Um, Tillery export the cannabis from Portugal to other com- countries such as Israel, um, one export that they did under the, to a company based in Israel, it was uh, for 400 kilos of cannabis that they signed off and said it was grown in Portugal. And uh, I'm not going to question that. I'm not going to question that they, they grew that 400 kilos in, in Portugal at all. Like uh, They have some uh, serious facilities down there. I'm just questioning as to why they someone imported a thousand kilos of cannabis and uh, hasn't owned up to it um is there another person out there with a license to import that the government are keeping off the books like uh, i don't know but uh yeah it's, it's a strange one really you know um what's going on there um could it have anything to do with the fact that um the fort uh what, what were they called again does uh that company fort What was the name of him? Fatmar. Jeez, that that slipped my mind. Fatmar. So could it be anything to do with the the fact that these guys Fatmar, 
they don't have any EU GMP certification at the moment, and that's a requirement, uh, especially for the import into Germany of uh, medicinal cannabis products. Stinks a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, it's a bit weird. Like the largest export of cannabis ever, uh, the legal one anyway. There might have been a ton of cannabis and once or twice there uh, illegally, I'd say, but in the past, um, but. The, the largest ever export of it legally from Uruguay to Portugal from these guys fought more and nobody is owning up to it. Um, where did it go? What happened to it? What, what, you know, what was the end use of it? That's a lot of cannabis, like three and almost three and a half million, let's say, of, of cannabis. Like, what did, it, what did it do with it? Like, that's a lot. Like, that's a whole lot of cannabis. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, just I just wonder what, what's the story there. Um, I I done a little bit of investigating myself. I couldn't find anything to say that these guys uh, fought more have, um, GMP certification. It says here uh, what I have up on the screen is uh, a little snippet from their uh, their website, and it says our entire production process is built to meet the EU GMP standards. That to me says they do not have certification that they meet gmp standards you know they're they're built to meet the standard but they they haven't had it signed off on and it's not approved so despite having it to, built to meet it until it's actually certified that it has met it and it continues to meet it which is a requirement of gmp it's not just gmp it is a small c current gmp because it is a continuously improved process um you know until they have it uh i you know their products can't really be distributed in in the eu um as far as i'm concerned uh you know and again as far as i'm concerned if these guys had certification that would be worded quite clearly on their website it would say our entire production process meets and is certified by you know whatever the the certification board is within the eu gmp you know um, they they have logos here for European Medicine Agency, World Health Organization. Like, but honestly, what you know that stuff means really nothing. Uh, in my eyes, you know, um, you need to see that certification, guys. And uh, yeah, something stinks there. Like that, that is a bit stinky. And um, I'll keep an eye out there. I'll see if there is anything else come out in that in, in the future. And if it is, I'll, I'll update you on that, guys. But that's just a little bit there for you know. Um, the world's largest legal export of uh, medicinal cannabis, and uh, nobody owns it. <laughs> it's a bit weird. Um, yeah, it's a bit weird. Like all oh, the bloody everything to do with uh, cannabis legalization and uh, yeah, or drug laws. Mexico is an ex part there, guys. So uh, hola, uh, amigos in Mexico. So um, uh, do you know what this is a. Uh, yeah, this is a nice positive uh, piece of news here. Uh, the guys in Mexico, they took it upon themselves there back in February. Uh, they planted a cannabis garden. Uh, they didn't just plant it anywhere. They planted it right next to uh, the Senate. So um, so their Senate buildings. So um, they planted them there in February. And uh, some of the plants at the moment, they say, are reaching almost three meters tall. Um, it's it's started turning into a cannabis uh, activist hangout spot, you know, something I need again. I just plugged there at the start of the show, something we we really need, and it's a it's a place where people can kind of come hang out. Uh, they they've forbidden the the sale and supply of cannabis there, and they encourage people to bring their own cannabis if they if they like the the smoke cannabis. 
No, that'll be a difference in, in our hub. We won't be able to recommend that because we don't have the same laws as uh, as Mexico do currently, where I think you can possess up to uh, five grams of cannabis and, and not be criminalized, or, or maybe it's a, it's a small fine or something like that. Um, any more than that, then it's kind of a criminal matter. Um, people can kind of grow their own cannabis as well at home, but there's kind of issues there around you know harvesting it and smoking it as well. And obviously, look, if you grow a plant at home, you're going to be in possession of more than five grams at the end of the day when you harvest that. So that was a major issue too. That was a, a ruling in 2015. So in 2015, you know, they, they kind of made a ruling that people could have up to five grams of cannabis on them, um, but they didn't put anything in place where people could get this cannabis from. They allow people to grow it at home. But as I just said, like, uh, if you grow it at home, you're going to be in possession of more than five grams and uh, activists there got sick of the fact that they were being extorted uh, effectively uh, by by the local policia there um, because, you know, they would just get on the spot fines and things, you know, and it's just a bit of a nuisance, uh, basically, for, for these people who, uh, but, but for the best part of the time, they're, they're law-abiding citizens, peaceful people, you know, who just go about their daily business and uh, don't, don't interfere with people at all. Um, so that's a part of their, their plan there is they just want to normalize the fact of it. I, I talked about them there uh, not too long ago, um, going about on, on to um, the, the public transport, bringing with them plants and stuff, you know. These guys are making plants and they're planting them in things like tennis shoes and stuff like and putting them in pure obscure places around the, the city with little uh, signs and uh, legalized cannabis, you know, and uh, maybe a little fact or, or piece there of information on uh, on cannabis and, and why it should be legalized, you know. Very cool uh, way to, it's kind of like a non-aggressive way of uh, just getting cannabis out there. Um, hint, hint, nudge, nudge to activists out there who might have uh, ac- access to some cannabis cuttings, you know. Um, just a little thought for you, maybe play some outside of your local TD's office get a little photo with a little uh, thing there, a little banner, legalize me, a little plant calling for help or something, you know. Um, it could be good, like uh, it makes for a nice thing, a little piece in the media. It gives the media a break from having to report on bloody coronavirus on you. Um, so it's just a little uh, food for thought there and uh, maybe take some inspiration from our uh, Mexican brothers there and uh, what they're doing for uh, cannabis legalization. You know, they just started planting some seeds in this place and now they, they have their own little cannabis garden there where uh, the, the cannabis activists, they, they camp out, uh, they, they cook there, they, they eat and uh, they, they garden together. Um, they hold workshops on germination, growing techniques and uh, they also kind of uh, sh- show people uh, the different products that they can make from cannabis, you know, including edibles and uh, sexual lubricants. <laughs> they also host uh, lectures to raise awareness of the medicinal use of the plant and uh, you know its der- derivatives. You know, again, something that we could do within our own cannabis community activist hub. There's there's nothing illegal about getting this information out there to people. We could maybe work with uh, some of the CBD flowers that are easily accessible around the place. Like, but we could be holding workshops like these. Again, obviously, working within the the confines of the the coronavirus restrictions and all of that crack like uh, even these guys are doing it uh, over there you know when when you come into this uh, little garden now at the moment so to deal with the uh the virus what have you you get a little tag and you got 30 minutes in there where you can go in hang out to have a chat maybe have a smoke and uh, at the end after 30 minutes your 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 little uh, beeper thing goes off and it, it kind of indicates like your time is up and uh, start making your way out 
And uh, you know, that's kind of good. And they encourage people to, to socially distance and they've forbidden people from passing joints and sharing pipes too. Like, you know, well done, guys. Like, very good. Like, this is positive stuff. Like, as opposed to if this was in a back alley somewhere, passing a joint, it, like, you know, <laughs> again, it sense like, uh, it, how can our government tell cannabis users, like, not to pass joints when, look, they're telling them not to smoke them anyway. That's where their message stops. Look, they don't give it a crap what happens to you. Um, if you smoke your joint, they don't really care if you're sharing the joint, I'd imagine, because they're, they're not getting this harm reduction information. They're out there to people, um, much like they, they weren't getting information out there to people about st- the sticking the dirty notes up your nose. Like probably one of the more harmful things you could do as a, as a cocaine user is stick a dirty note up your nose because... Like, surely we're all aware now of how dirty things could be and stuff. Like, you, you shouldn't really be sticking a dirty banknote up your, your nose. God knows how many hands had touched it, how many floors it might have fallen on, and what could be lingering there, and you're sticking up your nose, you have a snort off it. And uh, no, we, we just tell people not to do drugs, and we, we don't tell them, like, sensible things, like maybe get a paper straw and cut it up, and there you go, you have a couple of uh, single-use disposable cocaine snorters. <laughs> That you don't share and don't spread the virus on <laughs> do you know this is harm reduction information that we could be giving if we have sensible drug policies but no we've got prohibition and the, all of the the nonsense and the uh the, the craziness that goes with that you know <laughs> um so the, the cannabis uh, activist garden uh, is open to the public where uh you know, people can come, and it's actually actually getting so popular now that the uh, the garden can be found on Google Maps there in Mexico. Um, so for some of the activists, uh, it can be a social spot from the hangout, but as I say, it can, it can be a teach teaching tool from too. And uh, one of the activists uh, there, Jose R- Rivera, uh, says that uh, we we want Mexican lawmakers to understand we are smoking quietly and that we are not a risk to anyone. Yeah, he says that he has had enough of the mistreatment. And and I echo that with uh, Jose Rivera there. Like, uh, and that is why I organized that little smoke-up we had there. Uh, the two smoke-ups we had in Cork City back in August um, and July. Uh, and that, that exactly is why I was organizing it. Uh, I wanted lawmakers to see that, like, we're not a threat to you at all. Like, we're, we're nice, peaceful people. Like, uh, we're friendly and uh, you shouldn't be criminalizing us. Like there's there's a good few of us out there that uh, you're mistreating when you're criminalizing us. It's it's discrimination. And uh, like Jose Rivera here, like uh, I've had enough. I'm sick of it. This is why Martin's World is created. Like I don't want to be doing this. Like I'd much rather be at home uh, with my kids, enjoying life. You know, maybe out there doing more positive things uh, for the world as opposed to trying to undo these harmful things that uh, were done by some people who didn't know better maybe in the past, you know, these same guys who would have agreed with banning condoms and keeping gay, being gay illegal, you know, these same guys would have supported prohibition, uh, the, the same guys who put prohibition in place, let's not forget they were massive racists, and that was part of uh, the, the motivating reason for, for them making cannabis illegal and all this, like, and uh, we see the knock-on con- consequences of it, where you know people like myself doing shows like this, you have people like Vera to me who have to who has the the fights that like for access to it, who still fights to this day for access to it. Like she walked from Cork to Dublin for access to it. 
all because of this prohibition. You've activists out there planting plants like in, in next to their senates, like making these little community hubs where like it's it's the community crying out for help. Like it's it's a community that wants to be like uh taken from the shadows and, and like recognized, you know. And we don't want to be discriminated against anymore. And uh well well done to the guys in Mexico there. They're they're making a lot of headway, you know. Um they they really are down there. Uh, another activist inside uh, in, in this kind of uh, community uh, down there uh, that are operating this garden, uh, his name is uh, Leopoldo Rivera. Not sure if he's related to the other guy. Um, but being a, a marijuana user, I, I don't like marijuana, but he's Mexican, he can use it. It's a slang term from the boys. <laughs> being a marijuana user uh, does not make us criminals. Most of us work, pay taxes. We are just normal people who like marijuana. Just like those who like football and who do not harm third parties. Here we are firm in defense of our rights and the rights of all. We thank those who do not consume and who understand that this fight, legalization, is a fair demand so that we no more uh, so that no more human rights are violated and that the police stop being distracted by persecuting people who are mostly peaceful and productive. And again, I echo that like wholeheartedly here in Ireland. We need to make our guardian more efficient too. They no longer need to be targeting people like myself. Who, who's, who, I'm not violent. I am a peaceful person. I am a productive member of society too when you allow me to. When you're, when you're not infringing on my ability to work and travel by criminalizing me and discriminating against me because I use cannabis. Like, you know, so well done there, like, uh, to Leopoldo Rivera there, and, and what he said, like, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with what that guy said. Um, one final activist there, um, Nicholas Guerra, uh, a 23-year-old delivery man uh, who has been using cannabis for four years to help his mental health. Um, marijuana and martial arts helped me reduce uh, neurosis. Uh, it's been my medicine, and that's why I'm in favor of its legalization. And he said this during a visit to a garden. And, uh, you know, well done to him. There's many people out there who, like, you know, cannabis is an amazing product and it allows them quality of life where they can partake in other things like martial arts, which, again, has a knock-on positive impact on their health because of the social impact, the exercise, you know. It's, it's knock-on as opposed to be what on some brain melting drugs that the, the pharmacy is trying out experimenting with on you to treat your your neurosis or whatever other condition you might have do you know they would rather do that than give you something like cannabis uh, in the right form in the right dosage that would allow your quality of life to be maintained at a quite a high level pardon the pun um so yeah this garden also has uh and you know and this unlike Ireland has been uh, has seen dozens of senators who come and speak with the activists, you know, and they don't ignore them unlike they do here in Ireland, where they basically bury their head in the sand when it comes to any comments from from activists. They basically try to act as if we don't exist in certain capacity, you know. It's, it's strange. Um, there there is the the small few out there who do acknowledge uh, our existence. But the the guys in Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, like uh, yeah, they they do not want to engage in this conversation at all. They don't like because they can't argue with us. Like they know the what we're saying, it's it's all valid. Like all the points we're making, they're they're 
they're 99% like on, on the button like you know there's very very hard to argue with the, the legalizing of cannabis you know unless they do it in their own little bubble you know where they're not going to be questioned on it correctly <laughs> you know they, they won't be they, they won't engage with us at all and it's a shame it really is a shame because cannabis needs to be legalized there's, there's a lot of money to be made from it there's a lot of jobs to be created and there's a lot of harm to be undone um by legalizing cannabis so uh well done to the senators there who who take it upon themselves to visit and engage with these activists who you know activists don't forget like they, they give up a lot of their time i know some people say like oh protesters activists you know they, they have no job and they're they're just dole bums and all of this crack like but you know, here you have a delivery man who who works and who also gives up what little spare time he has to activism to undo these harmful laws that were put in place, as I say, by racists and bigots in the first place. So, you know, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> um, so, and in other news in Mexico, guys, jeez, uh, I'm ranting on hard there today on that one. Uh, and other news in Mexico, we have uh, a senator here, uh, Senator Rodriguez. And uh, this lady here um, took it upon herself, actually, you know, she's uh, a... a by and large, a supporter of cannabis legalization in Mexico, and uh, she makes no secret of that either. Um, she went and um, she actually brought a cannabis plant with her into the Senate, and uh, the lovely lady took a photo and uh, posted it up on her Twitter. So well done to her on doing that. You know, she, she didn't break any laws in doing this because uh, in Mexico, as I said, since 2015, um you can kind of have cannabis plants and uh and not be breaking laws um i think that the the, the number is uh four or something like that that they might be able to have there um but you know she she took it upon herself to bring this into the senate to show people in there like what a cannabis plant is because some of them probably have never ever even seen it and yet they're passing policies on it and uh you know policies that uh keep, <laughs> keep it illegal you know so um fair play to her and uh, and doing that um she in that tweet there that you can see it's uh, basically saying that she wants to see legalizing cannabis made a priority issue in this period of uh, of their government so well done to her and again that's something i think i heard people say it like that oh there's more important things to deal with in ireland at the moment than legalizing cannabis no, 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 the cannabis legalizing should be up there, like, it's a priority, it should be done, because, like, and, and I'll get on to reasons why it should be done in, in a while, like, but it, it needs to be a priority, it really does, there's a lot of people out there suffering, um, patients without access to it, um, people being discriminated against, uh, people losing their jobs, family be, families being broken apart, all because of the criminal nature of it, and not because of cannabis at all, you know, um, so and and another uh, interior minister there in uh, in Mexico, and uh, also an ex judge there too, a, a Supreme Court judge in Mexico. Her name is uh, Olga Sanchez, and uh, Olga has um, come out also in support of legalizing cannabis in Mexico. And um, she even went as far as saying that she's going to plant one, a cannabis plant in her garden because she thinks it's a lovely looking plant and it will look lovely in her garden. 
So well done to her. And it's great, you know, that there's people like that coming out in support of legalizing cannabis there in uh, Mexico because Mexico, like, geez, guys, they, they had, like, serious problems because of the whole war on drugs and uh, the cartels and all of that stuff down there. So, um, like, they really need to see cannabis legalized and obviously something done with other drugs because, yes, as uh, the French guy said earlier, um, the dealers will go on to other things, like criminals will, when you legalize and regulate one thing, like, yeah, they'll seek out other illegal activities, but that's not an argument to keep this one illegal you know um why would you do that oh yeah let, let's keep them selling the, the soft drugs so that they don't sell the hard drugs <laughs> why <laughs> why would you do that um so like well done there the, the all the activists there in mexico anyway and uh yeah credit to the cannabis community out there in the world because uh they're, they're really making waves down there at the moment and uh hopefully in december as i said they will see uh, a bill before their, their Senate, their government, uh, that will look to legalize the recreational use of cannabis across Mexico. So um, stay tuned on that one, guys. Uh, more to come. <laughs> and then, guys, uh, to bring it home. We come home from there. Uh, we're going back to Ireland. Here we have it, boys. Uh, back to the, uh, the Gardaí. Um, the Gardaí have uh, made the 420 news today because uh, have you see, as you see here on the table, uh, a little picture of uh, 4 million euro worth of, oh, just 4 million euro in cash, euros, um, that they, they recently seized. They made a seizure there. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, they made a seizure there uh, after kind of an operation following a gang that they call the family the family yeah um because basically it's it's two brothers uh two brothers um one of them here um pictured is called brian drendon and uh he basically apparently runs this mob alongside his family his brother um james uh Grendon, i think is his name is it uh did it um i'll get their names up there now um want to keep factually correct and all that stuff like you know um brian and philip actually yeah it's not james sorry to james grendon out there jeez <laughs> brian grendon and uh, philip grendon uh, are the leaders of the gang that's uh, known as the family okay and uh, these guys operate in dublin and they have been said to, to keep a safe house in kerry where they stash their cash and um, yeah, the the cops carried out a raid on that house in Kerry, down in Bally Bunyan, and they also carried out a raid in a house in County Leash, and uh, there they they found uh, what was in vacuum sealed packs over four million euro. Um, majority of that was found in the house in Kerry, and there was a guy arrested then in the house in in County Leash, and. Um, yeah, he was said to be the registered owner of the house in County Kerry, in Ballybunion there, in Kerry. So uh, this guy then that they arrested, you know, he, he wasn't one of the leaders of the gang at all. Um, they, they say that uh, he was a high up, like uh, he, was a, he was a cog within the, the business, an important one. He was a lieutenant, they say. And uh, that they, they, the Gardaí are really patting themselves on the back here now because of this. Like, you know, they, they like to make out that what they do is like, oh, it's really great. Like, look what we're doing. Like, we talk out a lieutenant. 
but like literally like the, the two brothers there like while well, they might miss their buddy like there's plenty of other fellas there like that probably worked very close with this dude that they're after catching now uh whoever he might be um this lieutenant um he's easily replaced like seriously like the the, the brains of the operations are the brothers uh, and the brothers are interesting characters actually like uh the, the first brother brian um was only ever locked up once he was uh he was jailed uh back in 2001 for when he was caught with two million worth of heroin in a pub That's a lot of heroin <laughs> and it's, it's funny like this is guy like two million worth of heroin like all right if drugs were really that big a problem and what have you like uh surely this guy should have been just locked up and not left back out but like he's left back out and he's left back out and he's here he is again like making the media where, where they're saying like oh yeah we're doing great we took four million away from him but meanwhile like they released him back onto the street <laughs> like there was the guardy caught him before like they caught him with two million worth of heroin and they can't even keep him off our street <laughs> what the hell like seriously it makes uh oh there's some joke like um his brother Philip then as well, uh, he was locked up in 2015, okay, and th this is an interesting story actually, alright, he was in Spain, and when he was in Spain he was back in his apartment, obviously maybe having a bit of a cocaine party for himself or something, <laughs> but he threw a, a suitcase out of uh, the window of the, the hotel, because he thought that noises he was hearing <laughs> were uh, rival gang members coming in to attack him and, and basically to steal his drugs or what have you. So your man chucked a suitcase with 3.8 million worth of, uh, of or no, like uh, one suitcase out the window full of cocaine. And then uh, <laughs> he was found then afterwards by cops. The, the cops came after the suitcase was thrown out like and uh, the cops came and they found him outside of his hotel room with another suitcase in his hand and that suitcase had more cocaine in it and he was outside his uh, his hotel room because uh, he couldn't get back into it he was locked out he was after losing his key card <laughs> so that, that was a crazy night for uh, for philip there anyway but uh, even Philip, like, uh, despite being caught with 3.8 million worth of cocaine, all right, uh, I think he had to pay a 2,000 euro fine uh, in damages or, or whatever in compensation to the hotel because he might have smashed the window, I don't know, throwing the cocaine out or something. But uh, they, they only locked him up for, like, uh, was it four years. He got out there, apparently, last year. So <laughs> there you go. Like, uh, that, that was his first time after being locked up as well, uh, apparently um so like this is the crack there with, with our cops like they arrest these guys they lock them up they caught them with a significant amount of drugs too like you know you think that with the amount they got caught with that'd be enough to keep them off the streets but no this is how effective our drug policies are guys you know is this this what you want with like prohibition in place these guys getting caught with all these drugs only to do a short period of time going in meeting new people inside into the prison you know recruiting probably into their uh their their crime gang <laughs> growing their ranks um like this is what goes on seriously and our, and our cops like patting themselves on the back because uh they think they're doing a good job by taking the likes of this dude off, off the streets you know it's ridiculous uh these guys are notorious they're around a long time too and it, it's our guardy actually that are have led to the rise of these guys uh because um basically the the cops have been doing a lot of work over the last couple of years taking associates of the the Kinahans and things like that off of uh, off of the streets in Dublin that's kind of creating a vacuum and these guys are coming in and uh, quickly filling that void 
um, because of the arrests and, and everything else that's going on there within the, the Kinnan and the Hutch feuds where the boys are killing each other and stuff like and meanwhile you just have other crime gangs on the sidelines just watching and coming in and taking over turfs like um, you know it's a uh, yeah that that's kind of what's go- going on there these guys are filling the void that's been left behind because of our Gardaí you know and that's something I've been talking about before you can remove the drug dealer out of an area but uh, he'll only be replaced by more and they can be a bit more violent um, which is interesting actually in this case uh, these guys uh, apparently the word on the street is the uh, that they've given the order to their, their members, the people operating for them, not to be violent, not to do things uh, in, in that way because it uh, it attracts unwanted attention to them from the authorities, you know. Um, so interesting. That's something I talked about as well last week, that the authorities maybe did they prefer to work with crime gangs who, who like to keep things non-violent um, because it kind of keeps things under, like it looks like the Gardaí are doing good when there's not people being shot up on the street every weekend. Um, so maybe the Gardaí are, you know, again, they're open to corruption there um, within this. <laughs> and that's something I'll touch off of in, in a few secs, actually, as well. Um, but, like, uh, the, the, this this recent raid of, uh, of €4 million Euro has brought this year's taking by our Gardaí and this Criminal Assets Bureau uh, to eight million euro. So over since January of this year, our authorities have seized over eight million euro in the, from the proceeds of drug crimes or organized crimes or whatever the the term is there that they use for it. Um, that goes straight into the uh, to the exchequer, right into the revenue funds, and is used then for various means: waters, roads, all of that kind of stuff. Like so, eight million there. And some of it goes back to the Gardaí, obviously. <laughs> and uh, they also, so far this year, then they say that they seized up to 20 million euro, or 23 million euro worth of uh, drugs so far in 2020. That's the Irish Gardaí there. Um, so the investigators then here, uh, following uh, these mobs and gangs, what have you, they believe that these guys are earning millions a week through their activities here in Ireland. Um as uh, the Kinnans and organized crime gang, now headed by Daniel Kinnahan, has uh, been severely damaged. So, so they're they're saying here that they believed like that the Gardaí have severely damaged uh, these crime gangs by taking away all this money. Um, they're saying that uh, over thirty Kinnahan associates have been put behind bars since the Kinnahan Hutch feud erupted in twenty sixteen, and it also claims uh, the lives of eighteen people so far. Um, and yet, despite this, despite all of the man hours putting into operating uh, our body Gardaí on various operations, such as Operation Shovel, um, Christy Kinahan and uh, his sons, uh, Daniel and uh, Christopher Jr., you know, they're still at large. They're still on the run, you know. Uh, Daniel Kinahan, they're making the media around his uh, activities in the boxing world. You know, he's a, he's a promoter now out there in the boxing community. <laughs> um so yeah that's you know it's just an interesting one there that uh you know these guys are filling the void uh created by our Gardaí and uh they're becoming large you know um the Kinnahans you know their crime network uh spanned the globe it went from South America to Africa to, to Asia um right around the globe you know their crime work and network uh it was well connected and now it seems that the family are kind of filling that void uh, that's been created because of our Gardaí and their various operations, um, which were unfruitful and in actually 
getting the criminals they were targeting, i.e. the, the Kinahan leaders, like, you know, as I say, the, the, the Christy Kinahan and the, the, the sons there that were, you know, believed to be the leaders of the gangs and, and what have you. They, they've never been able to lock them up despite bringing them to court for various things. Uh, the boys are still out there at large. Um, kind of like uh, the Grinning dudes there as well, you know, they weren't able to keep them off the streets either. Um, the Kinahans then, kind of, just to finish off our news today, is uh, they make uh, the 420 news as well, because, like, again, I want just to highlight how much of a massive failure the war on drugs are, is. Um, th- it's come out now that the Kinahans were paying off the, the police in Spain. Um, so it's come out now that there was uh, two police uh, officials that were getting um, €5,000 a month from the Kinahans uh, in order to kind of tip them off and uh, to help them out where, where needs be when it comes to the different raids and operations that the authorities had against them, you know. Um, and, and don't forget that our Irish Gardaí were working with the Spanish Gardaí too, so it's quite likely that the information, you know, there was an overflow there. Uh, who knows what information these two officers had and maybe what other officers might have actually been corrupted um, they, they only know of two so far but uh, I'd imagine they might have had more um, I, I think 5,000 euro a month was a small figure I, I always thought they might have got like 10,000 a month maybe 20,000 a month to be a corrupt cop like I thought it's quite a valuable thing to have uh, for these criminal organisations to have but um, maybe I overvalue the, the value of these guys or, or maybe there's more of them out there willing to do it so there's not as much of demand there you know or, or you know a lack of um, people to take up the role <laughs> um, because as I say even our own Gardaí here are quite underpaid like and, and quite susceptible to being able to be recruited into this kind of thing like you know uh, come here give us a tip off there when the raid is coming our way and uh, you know I'll, I'll let you know there when uh, when you know there's a small fish out there like a fella with a kilo or two I, I'll give you him you can raid him and there's your notch in your belt but meanwhile let the other guy there with the 10 kilos uh, come through you know like, this stuff happens out there. Like, criminals are smart, like, and uh, the Gardaí aren't, aren't infallible either. Um, as we see here, even in Spain, like, the authorities are, aren't infallible. They, they take bribes and, and they tip them off, you know, to the point that um, they, they, they tipped off, uh, not, like, it worked both ways. Like, the Kinnans actually fed back uh, false information to the, the authorities through the, the, the Gardaí, you know, or through whoever, um, they, they were being able to, to kind of lead them down, uh, you know, false trails, um, wasting years of uh, of the investigators' times. Um, there, there was one where uh, they sent them on raids, uh, basically, uh, it, it, it was details of, uh, of a company selling land in Brazil, uh, where it was claimed that the, the Kinnan gang was planning to build a, a holiday resort uh, near a coastal city called uh, uh, Joa... Pessoa, Pessoa, uh, in the northeast of uh, of Brazil. There, um, geez, man, I'm terrible with like words foreign to, to English. <laughs> um, but like uh, that, that basically took a huge chunk of resources from the authorities to go over and kind of investigate that. And uh, yeah, it bought the Kinnans enough time to kind of tie up loose ends in other places where it kind of you know authorities weren't able to get them. Um, so th- this is what the the authorities are up against, Do you know. The 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 bus had uh, like seven hundred and fifty police officers uh, across Ireland, the UK, and Spain. Um, 
And then they, they, they followed up with uh, raids in Belgium, Cyprus, Dubai, South Africa, Brazil. Um, it, this included 78 searches and there was 34 arrests and the seizures of vehicles and cash. But yet, like, despite this, like, the, the leaders of the gang are still out there at large. Um, the authorities are very much out of pocket because despite all the, the cash and everything they're seizing, like, they're, they're spending a lot more, I'd say, in, in what you know to get what they're getting um versus you know if they were to just legalize and regulate it that would be much more effective in tackling these massive crime networks because they would have to legalize and you know they, they wouldn't be able to operate the way they do now like they would have to come into the light it'd be much harder for them so like that's it there now today for uh your, your 420 news guys uh i hope you've all enjoyed this uh i hope i haven't ranted too much there on things um but it is what it is, guys. That's my opinion. Um, it is what it is. Um, let's get it out there to people. Uh, let's go over to our comments on the Facebook Live. So, guys, if you want to be a part of the Facebook Live comments, you have to tune into the show over on Facebook Live, uh, over on Facebook of Martin's World. Uh, I go live Mondays at 4.20, Wednesdays 4.20, Fridays 4.20. <laughs> so uh, check that out uh, if you can. Um, again, Dave, first one at the top, man. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here again as always. But um, in Berlin, it's extremely easy to, to purchase can cannabis. Uh, just go to the local park train station. But again, where does the money end up? Spot on, man. Yeah, very much like uh, in France when I was there, that's where you went. You went down to the local uh, metro station or bus station and uh, you'd find the, the Arab dudes down there and uh, you'd ask them, hey, you got some shit? Uh, shit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, you'd, uh, you'd, get, you'd score ash easy. Um, but getting a good deal was hard, man. They'd rip you off, like, honest to God, like... Uh, while I was there, like, uh, a number of the guys I was there with on Erasmus actually got robbed. Uh, shout out to my Erasmus buddies. Uh, there was 18 of us there, so it's kind of, there's enough of us there that, look, there's uh, <laughs> the guys who got robbed won't be known. The group certainly knows who was robbed, but, um, <laughs> and it was lousy too, man. Uh, he, the, the, the person uh, got the hash, sat there, and uh, the guys were like, oh, smoke one up with us, roll one up with us, and he sat there rolling one up with us, and while uh, he was there wrote, putting his skins together and putting his tobacco on, he was uh, getting ready to burn in. The lads grabbed the hash and ran <laughs> away and just left them there, so they took the hash and the money. Lousy, man. So, um, yeah, and the deals were terrible, like, uh, honestly, man. They were trying to charge you, like... Uh, a tenner there for for euros worth of hash like you know jesus like you'd have to start with asking for 10 euros worth or something or maybe you'd start with asking actually for 50 euros worth and then you you haggle down to them because like if you went up and say oh it's 10 euros worth they're, they're going to pull out the smallest bit they can like but if you say 50 euros worth they might pull out a half decent bit and then you just haggle them down to what you actually think that that piece is worth but um yeah <laughs> all right alan man nice one for joining us along there and uh what's alan say hey marty go on you boy <laughs> nice and alan boy good to have you checking in boy i hope you're working hard boy or hardly working maybe as the case can be um out with the calculator yeah sorry man <laughs> was i right was it 20 million 20 euro by a thousand 20 million <laughs> um still open the correction 10 20 is 200, 10 is 200. Yeah, I, I think it was 2 million actually. Yeah, now that I go back to it, it was 2 million. I, I, that's my final answer. <laughs> 2 million. 
Um, cheap, cheaper to operate in Portugal than London. Yeah, of course, man. Of course, yeah. Totally understand that, Dave. And uh, it's it's a pity though that this is what the guys are doing. They're taking jobs that sh- could be there uh, within London and bringing it to other places. Um, you know. Uh, and uh, Teresa uh, sounds like a loophole for import export. Yeah, it definitely is, uh, and that's kind of what I was thinking as well. They're bringing in the from one place and saying it was grown there and then exporting it, you know, as another thing. It's possibly not, not saying that that's what they're doing, but it is a possible, you know, it stinks anyway, that's for sure. Yeah, poor Philip was off his game, all right. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a fairly entertaining one, all right. Like, you know, um, I, I think he qualifies for today's dumbest criminal actually on that one. Like, uh, you know, it's probably best not to get off your face on coke when you've got almost four million of coke sitting in a in a suitcase with you. <laughs> um, so there you go, guys. Uh, in fear of the show going on any longer than it needs to, uh, that's all the comments that's uh, there from everybody. And again, uh, I had a great pleasure uh, doing this today. And um, I'll be back with you on Wednesday, guys. So uh, keep your comments coming in, guys. Uh, subscribe, like, uh, follow, do that thing. Uh, share, it aware, uh, share it around. Uh, let people know uh, all about Martin's World. And uh, again, uh, let people know about Martin's World's uh, campaign to set up a cannabis activist hub in Cork. Uh, there might be people there who want to, to take part in that if you want to be on the, the committee. Um Get involved, step out, let me make yourself known because uh, this is long overdue and long needed. Um, well done again to the Mexican brothers out there uh, who are, do you know, doing their thing and uh, inspiring people like myself here uh, to do the right thing and uh, fight on for the legalization of cannabis. So, guys, this is Martin Connan <clears throat> from 420 News signing off, guys. Uh, keep her lit, stay blazed. Peace. <laughs>